Shalom, and thank you for listening to the weekly teaching from Nachamu Ami. It's our honor that you've chosen to participate virtually, and we hope that this lesson will be an inspiration in your daily walk. Don't miss a single teaching. Be sure to download the Nachamu Ami app by visiting our website at www.makeandmessianic.com and clicking the Download the App button in the top left corner. Enjoy the message. This morning as I was wrapping up my notes uh, for what I was going to talk to you about today, uh, I just felt sort of Hashem said, eh, we need to go a little bit different direction. We need to change up quite a bit. So I've already rearranged things about three or four times uh, in preparation uh, for this teaching. So I don't know exactly what's going to happen and how's it, how it's going to turn out. But hopefully, uh, with God's help, um, we will learn something together. And it will be meaningful in some way and help us to have some kind of application this week in our lives, how that we can grow, how we can become a better disciple of Yeshua, how that we can have an impact on this world. Because that's really the goal, right? It's that we want to be close to Yeshua and impact this world. And so that's our goal. And so this um, message... I had originally entitled Our Father Abraham. Even though it's the same topic, I think the um, more specific avenue that we're going to go down is the chesed of Abraham. The chesed of Abraham. Do you guys know what I mean by chesed? Chesed is the Hebrew word which basically means loving kindness. Okay, So the kindness or the loving kindness of Abraham. And so first of all, let let me... explain something. You know, a lot of us grew up in the church, and there's this song that we sang as kiddos. You know, we brought these kids up here to bless them, and, you know, they went to class now. But when I was growing up, we went to children's church and Sunday school class and all that kind of stuff in, in in the church. And we would sing a song called Father Abraham. Does anybody know that song? Okay, right? So, Father Abraham had many sons, and many sons had Father Abraham. How's it go next? I am one of them, and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord, right? And then the fun begins. Right arm, right? (laughs) And then we get that arm pumping, and then eventually left arm, and then eventually right foot, and then left foot, nod your head, turn around, and then finally sit down. The teacher's worn out by then, right? But... What's, what's that song all about? Why do we teach these kids this song, Father Abraham? Is it just something to get some energies out, to get their wiggles out? No. It is to teach them, to ingrain within them, that Abraham is their father, spiritually speaking. That they have a connection to Abraham. Jew, Gentile alike, if we have a connection through Yeshua then we have become part of the family of Abraham, right? And so this Torah portion that we're in this week, Parashat Vayera, okay, begins 18.1 and talks about the um, angels appearing to Abraham. And then a few verses down the road, it says, Uh, they give Abraham a promise. It says, and Abraham will become a great and powerful nation. And 
all the nations of the world will be blessed in him. How many? All. But you're thinking, man, how, how is that going to happen? And, or how is it happening? Or how has it happened? You know, how in the world are all the nations of the earth going to be blessed by Abraham? You know, and if you don't know the end of the story, or if you don't know, you don't realize what has happened through Yeshua, that blessing is hard to figure out, right? But fortunately, we know that this is not only um, going to take place even further, but it's already being fulfilled. It's working its way. Yeshua told the parable of putting a little leaven in a lump of dough. And what happens? It expands, it grows, and it fills the entire batch of dough. And it's worked completely throughout. That's the same as what is happening with the blessing of Abraham. It's being fulfilled, hopefully, through you and through me. Because our light should be shining in this dark world. If you've heard me at all speak if you've heard me talk to my kids, if you've heard me talk to these young people today, these, these children today, others, that's a phrase you'll hear often with me. I, I found myself repeating it so many times to you already, to let your light shine in this dark world. Because our responsibility is to make this world a brighter place. R- Paul in Romans 4.16, he says, that is why it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring. Okay, talk about the promise of Abraham, the blessing to his offspring. But catch this out. Uh, check this out. He says, not only to those of the Torah, basically the, those who are born into the covenant, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. And so this is our, our sort of our ticket. Am I Jewish? No. But do I have Abraham as my father? Yes. And this is the deal. Abraham, somehow, through this process of coming to faith in Yeshua, Abraham's DNA gets passed down. His spiritual DNA gets passed down to me somehow. Okay? So let's talk about Abraham for just a moment. Let's just give some background, give some understanding. The Lord is so endeared to Abraham that he reveals himself with Abraham's name. Think about that. I mean, if if a person were to not know God from a rock, okay, and God shows up out of the blue, he speaks to them from the clouds or has a, a, they hear an audible voice or whatever, and and they say, and and God appears to the person, let's say, um, uh, let's just say, Jerry over here, okay? Jerry is the one who Hashem's going to speak to. And, and Hashem speaks aloud. It says, Jerry Maggard. Says, and Jerry says, who, who's this? It says, I'm the God of Lance Hamill. I mean, think about that. That would be weird, right? Okay, that'd be cool for you. But that would be weird because God identifying himself by a human being. 
isn't that, isn't that just, have you ever thought about that? That's just sort of strange. I mean, we just sort of gloss over it when we're reading the scriptures because it's just, that's the way it is. But if you think about it in those terms, you know, to have the creator of the universe identify himself being attached to another human being, that's, that's a pretty big thing, wouldn't you say? Okay. He calls himself Elohe Abraham, the God of Abraham. When we leave this world, where does the scripture talk about going? Where does Abraham, I mean, where does um, Yeshua, he tells the parable of Lazarus and the rich man, where do they go? To Abraham's bosom, right? Or, or can be translated as Abraham's lap, okay? His, basically, his embrace. That's sort of the concept there. And so when we die and await the resurrection, we go to what is affectionately called Abraham's bosom. Now, here's a weird thing. I mentioned this before uh, in different teachings and things, but it always strikes me as very odd. It strikes me as, as very powerful. When in two weeks we read in Parsha uh, Toldot, at the beginning, uh, I mean, yes, it is at the beginning. In Genesis 25, 19, it says, Ve'ele toledot Yitzhak ben Avraham. Avraham holid et Yitzhak. Okay, what does that mean? It means these are the generations, or this is the offspring, or the product, or the result of, or, or there's a bunch of, word, bunch of ways in English you can translate that. This is, and it's generally the offspring. This is the offspring of Isaac, the son of Abraham. Now, what would you think would come next, naturally? Jacob, Jacob, right? I mean, maybe Esau, but you know, at least Jacob. But that's not what it says. It says, Holid et Isaac. Uh, I mean, it says, Avraham, Holid et Isaac. It says, uh, Abraham fathered. Isaac. That is basically Isaac's claim to fame. Isaac, it's almost as if he doesn't have any merit in and of himself. And if you notice the scripture, Isaac is between Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Isaac is sort of the one that we don't have as much information about. We have a lot of stories about Abraham, a lot of stories about Jacob. We have a few about Isaac, but I believe it's because of this passage right here. Isaac was the son of Abraham, and he was the son of Abraham because he was said to be identical to his father. The legends say that he was not just a son and easily identifiable on his own, but he was actually so much like his father Abraham that people couldn't tell them apart. You know, they look like twins, They were alike, and they were identical, not just physically in their physical features, but they were identical in the way they acted. Now, that's that's a big leap there, okay? They look, Isaac looked and acted like his father. My question is, if Abraham is our father, how much do we look like him? in our actions. 
does his spiritual DNA run in our blood? In other words, when people see us, do they also see Avraham Avinu, our father Abraham? Just like we want people to see Yeshua in us, we want people to see Abraham in us. Why? Because he is the father of our faith, and our actions should reflect that. Now, I'm going to propose a, 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 a statement to you, I guess is what we could say, that if we are, all, if we are children of Abraham then it should make sense that we are also disciples of Abraham. Okay? That just seems sort of a natural conclusion, but it has different implications, okay? So Pirkei Avot lists three qualities that the disciples of Abraham should possess. And so it says, all who possess three, these three qualities belong to the disciples of Abraham, our father. Number one, a generous eye. So if anybody has big eyes, then you're automatically in. No, no. What does that mean? A generous eye. Okay. Ein tova is the Hebrew expression. An ein tova means that you're generous. Okay. It means a good eye. It literally says a good eye. Um, in the Greek, in the, in, in the Greek translation of the New Testament, in the Greek manuscripts, it uses a word that can be either or as well. And Hebrew is very similar. It can mean generous or it can mean good. And so when it, when it says that one of the qualities we need to have to be a disciple of um, Abraham is a generous eye, means that we need to be uh, generous in the way that we treat people, not just monetarily. We need to be gracious and generous in the way we treat people. Second is that they have a humble spirit. Third, a meek soul. And it, but it, then it contrasts. It says, but who, he who possesses these three qualities, um, an evil eye, a proud spirit, and a haughty soul, is the disciple of Balaam, the wicked. Okay, so that's the one we don't want to do. <clears throat> okay, so this ein tova, this good eye or this generous eye is what we, I want to talk to you really. I want to focus in today. I was going to go through all three of these, but we just don't have time to, to go into that. There's just so much we need to cover. Uh, and I want to focus on this one specific thing so you have something to take away, okay? Not, not have information overload. <clears throat> and so one who is, has an ein tova, a good eye, is a person of chesed. What did I say chesed means? Loving kindness, okay? Because they are concerned about the welfare of others. When you have chesed, you're concerned more about others than yourself. So Abraham, because of his chesed, he, I listed three qualities that he had that were tied directly to this. First of all, Abraham was a man of hospitality. Second, he was a man of compassion. And third, he was a man of influence. So let's see if we can understand what I mean by these. First of all, you guys know the story. Abraham was a man of hospitality. There's stories in the Midrash and Jewish legends and everything that talk about Abraham's hospitality, and it was just overboard, okay? Now, uh, some people just got back from this 
nice cruise on this cruise ship. You guys have gone to those. You, you see how you, you get served. It's like bring, being treated like a king, right? You go on something like that, and you get treated like a king. This is how Abraham would treat his guests, okay? He would bless them, just pour out blessings upon them. Now, one of the legends that we have about Abraham is that, that he was so, he had such a desire to host people and be hospitable that when he traveled, he would find a crossroad and he would set up his tent right in the middle of the crossroad, okay? You think, that, that's a problem, you would think. But what he did, he, was op- he would open the tent flaps up on the four sides and people would have to basically travel through his tent and then he would be able to provide for them. He'd be able to give them food, be able to give them drink, water in a hot desert. He'd be able to give them, um, you know, a place to stay and so forth and bless them. And so he would set up this thing, his tent, strategically so that he had an opportunity to bless people. Now, some people were thinking, my goodness, especially wives, thinking, whoa, <laughs> that's overwhelm, right? But that's the heart that Abraham had and Sarah had. Okay, we talk about the tents of Sarah as well as the tent of Abraham. Here's an interesting um, little factoid, a tidbit of information that I learned this week. My wife found something and shared it with me and that it thought it fit in really well to what I was going to share today, is that um, when, you, when you go to a Jewish wedding, what is over the bride and the groom? A chuppah, okay? A chuppah is a wedding canopy. And the, the chuppah is basically like a, um, a glorified talit almost. I mean, it's just, just a, and a lot of times they use talit, but it's just a, a covering and there's no sides on it, right? You have four poles or something like that. Why? Why is the talit or the, the chuppah used for this wedding? And the answer is so that the bride and groom will have the same heart of hospitality as Abraham and Sarah, that their home would be open on all four sides and welcome in guests and be inviting people over for Shabbos and so forth and so on, okay? That they would have a heart of outreach. And so this was very interesting. It works right into what we're talking about today. They hope that their home would emulate that of Abraham and Sarah, this is another um, little neat story from the book of Jasher talking about the hospitality of Abraham. It says, when Abraham planted, he, Abraham planted a large grove in Beersheba and made, it, uh, made there four gates facing the four sides of the earth, and he planted a vineyard in it. So that if a traveler came to Abraham, he entered any gate which was in his road and remained there and ate and drank and satisfied himself and then departed, for the house of Abraham was always open to the sons of men that passed and passed again, who came daily to eat and drink in the house of Abraham. And any man who had hunger and came to Abraham's house, Abraham would give him bread that he might eat and drink that he might be satisfied. And if anyone came naked to his house, he would clothe with his garments as he might choose and give him silver and gold and make him to uh, know and make this is messed up here, uh, typo, 
And so help him to know the Lord who had created him on this earth. And Abraham did this all his life. And so Abraham loved guests. Anybody know the, the Hebrew word for guests? The, I think it may be actually Yiddish, but ushpazin, right? And these are, when you say ushpazin, you generally are talking about guests for Sukkot. But he loved guests. Abraham and Sarah loved to have people in their home. Why? Because of all the hard work involved? No, because they loved affecting people's lives. They loved pouring into people. They loved providing for people. It gave them nachas. Are you guys familiar with that word? Nachas. Um, It's sort of joy, contentment, happiness, um, satisfaction maybe. Um, Example is if... When you're sitting and watching your child graduate from college, that gives you nachas. There's this pride, joy, satisfaction, right? And, and, and Abraham and Sarah received nachas from being able to pour into others and, and see them taken care of and, and uh, provided for. So that's a little background for Abraham and his love of hospitality. Now, in our Torah portion uh, today, in Vayera, we open up at the very beginning, and it says that the Lord appeared to him in the plains of Mamre while he was sitting at the entrance of the tent in the heat of the day. Now, this is weird. This is a weird introduction. Why do we have to have all of this detail? Why do we have to know that he was sitting and that he was at the entrance of the tent and it was the heat of the day? Well, our portions... Unfortunately, sometimes when they're broken up like this, it's a little disconnected from what happened just before it. So if you turn the page back and read the last sentence of what was right before, it says, on that day, on that very day, was Abraham circumcised with Ishmael his son and all the people of his household, born into his household and purchased for uh, for money from a stranger were circumcised with him. And then the very next sentence, the Lord appeared to him. And so our sages teach us that this happened like immediately after that circumcision. First of all, can you imagine, especially in that time period, um, an adult male being circumcised, that's just sort of painful to even think about, right? And then this is supposedly happening when Hashem appears to him on the third day after the circumcision when his pain was at the highest peak, was at the, uh, the highest level, Right? He was in the most pain, and they say that um, the reason why he was sitting at the entrance of the tent is because he was, even in his pain, he was looking for somebody to be hospitable to, to help somebody else when he himself is the one that was in pain. This is true chesed. When you are thinking about others in spite of yourself, and I know a lot of people in this room that are that that way, and so... And then why do we mention, why does this, this Torah have to mention that it was the heat of the day? Because we're told that Hashem wanted to have mercy on Abraham and try to get him out and just have him relax and, and be in his tent and, and recover. But, but, and so he created this extreme heat that day. And so it was a hot, hot, hot day, hotter than normal. And it was at the very height of the heat of the day. And Avraham went out anyway, searching for somebody to bestow chesed upon. 
And so Hashem was like, ah, this guy, you know, this guy, he's a good guy. I love him. So how do I bless him? I'm going to bless him by giving him the desire of his heart. I'm going to send him some guests, send somebody his way that he can take care of, that he can bless. And so he sends three malachim, three angels, three messengers. Three angels appeared in front of him. Scripture records that upon seeing the strangers, Abraham, quote, ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth. (laughs) Think about it. Ran. Ah. (laughs) Just three days after his circumcision, while he was in excruciating pain, Abraham not only gets up to serve guests, but he literally runs to greet them. Man, this guy... Abraham was a man of chesed. Numbers Rabbah, part of the Midrash, it, it says this, the Holy One, blessed be he, came to visit our father Abraham on the third day after his circumcision. There you read, and the Lord appeared unto him by the uh, terebinth of Mamre as, as he sat. The sages say that it was the Lord's compassion. Okay, what did we just say about Abraham? That he, had, he was a man of chesed, and that is displayed in hospitality, compassion, and influence. And here we have the Lord pouring out his compassion upon Abraham because Abraham had compassion on others. The sages say it was the Lord's compassion which made the sun beat down that day hotter than normal so as to keep Abraham in his tent to recover from the circumcision rather than being out searching for travelers to invite to be his guests. So what happens at this point, Abraham is like, hey, you guys, let me, let me just, you guys wash your feet here, and let me, let me just get you a little snack for the road type thing. Is that what he did? No. Okay? Yeah. I mean, we're talking about a multi-course meal probably. Um, he, he calls to Sarah First of all, he tells them, I'll fetch a morsel of bread. You know, that's why it's like, a, let me just get you a little snack, right? And then he, he tells Sarah, he says, hurry, three sayas a meal and the best that we have. Knead it and make cakes. And then he ran and he got a, the fattened calf and he slaughtered it. And then he prepared all that and fed his guests an amazing meal, a meal that would satiate them to capacity, right? Now, three sayas of flour, in our terms today, that would be multiple gallons of flour. Can you imagine that much much bread for three people? Okay? I mean, you think about one gallon of flour to make something right there. You're talking about way, you know, way more than probably most of us make for our challah on Friday nights. That's a lot of bread. You're talking, I can't remember exactly what the conversion rate is, but it's at least six gallons, I believe, of, um, of flour for this. That's a lot of food. And then a whole 
calf prepared and give to them. So, let's compare Abraham's encounter with these angels with Lot's encounter with the same angels. They come to him to be guests. We don't even hear about a single meal being served. You know, he, he says, come to the house, but then we have the stories in the Midrash that talk about his wife, how that she and this people of Sodom in general did not want guests. That was one of the big things. And Ezekiel chapter 16 talks about the sin of, of Sodom being their lack of hospitality. That was the reason Hashem destroyed them. Okay? It led to other things. It led to self-indulgence and, and twisted things that happened. But the root of it was they were inhospitable. They only were concerned about themselves. Hospitality helps us to focus on other people, not just ourselves. And so <clears throat> one of the stories that are told is that um, Lot talked his wife into feeding them, and there was an argument over salt. Salt ring a bell in the story of Abraham, I mean Lot's wife, right? That the guests asked for salt, and she's like, ah, oh, you mashugana. I mean, you're crazy, <laughs> you know? Says, salt, you're going to take my salt too? And they, Lot was like, give them salt. She goes, no, I'm not going to give them our salt. It's precious. And so for her refusal to give them salt, that was her punishment for looking back and longing to be back where she was instead of fleeing the destruction. And so her refusal of salt became her as a pillar of salt. But Lot, we do not read of any kind of, um, any kind of special um, hospitality to these angels but we do of Abraham. Because of his chesed, his kindness and concern for others, he wanted to feed his guests. And so, as we said, he, he said, let me give you some morsel, but then he lavished food upon him, right? So there's a saying uh, recorded by Rabbi Shammai. Um, he says, say little and do much. Say little and do much. And an ancient commentary on his statement says, what does this mean? It teaches that the righteous say little and do much, whereas the, little, whereas the wicked, they promise a lot, but don't do a little. Okay, now, I've been guilty of that. I think maybe many of us have. But we need to realize that we need to say little and do much instead of say much and do little. Yeshua, what's his example in this? Okay, he told us that that's the way we're supposed to act. In Matthew chapter five, verses forty-four, uh, excuse me, forty-six to forty-eight, he said, "If you love those who love you, what reward do you have?" Basically, that's a that's a given. What? That's a, just a duh. You know, you got to go beyond that. Do not even the tax collectors do the same? If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Say little, do much. Do not even the Gentiles do the same. You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. 
Luke 14, 12 through 14, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the, of the just or the righteous. Okay? So Yeshua is teaching the same principle. We are to give to others and, 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 and be hospitable to others and have the gift of hospitality and so forth to others and treat them beyond what is expected of us. Now, here's, here's a weird little thing. In, we read in the book of First Clement, one of the early post-apostolic writings of... Um, second-generation disciples of Yeshua, um, Clement writes, for his faith and hospitality, talking about Abraham, a son was given to him in his old age. We always connect the faith, right? Abraham received Isaac because of his faith, but we never think about as a reward for his hospitality. Clement connected it with his hospitality. Let's talk for a brief second about Abraham's compassion. We've already mentioned it really once. But the second is, it's in this week's Parsha as well. Hashem, through the angels, tells Abraham, says, hey, these cities are just wicked. I'm going to go down there and I'm going to just toast them. I'm going to roast them. I'm going to just lay waste to them. Uh, Instead of being like Jonah, he's like, Jonah's like, oh yeah, go for it. So I'm ready for this. I've been waiting for this. <laughs> Those are just wicked people. You know, just, you know, I'm going to get out my marshmallows and you just do it. You know? <laughs> um, Abraham's like, no. Why would you do that? You don't want to do that. You don't want to do that. Just think about it. If there were 50 righteous people in those hundreds or thousands or whatever it was of people, you would destroy it because of, uh, would you destroy it if there was the merit of 50 people within all these cities? And Hashem was like, no. It's like, okay. It says, what about 45? No. What about 40? No. It says, don't be angry. What about 30? Says, no. Um, hey, let me, let me try again. 20? No. What about 10? I will not destroy it if I can find 10 righteous people among all the cities in that region. Okay, Sodom, Gomorrah, and the surrounding cities. All he had to do was find 10. But we know the story. They were destroyed anyway because 10 righteous men were not found. Only one. But Abraham, knowing the wickedness, of the inhabitants, he pleaded on their behalf anyway. How many of us would be willing to do the same? I mean, most of it, let's face it, hey, that's their just reward. That's their just desserts. I mean, that's just the way it is. Those wicked people, those wicked fill in the blank. I mean, to have a heart like Abraham, have compassion on others, people that you don't know, people that 
are, have nothing of the same value system as you. That is a difficult task. The last thing I want to mention is Abraham's influence. Abraham's chesed not only made, his, made him compassionate, it made him influential. Okay? Now think about this. We've, we have the story of Abraham and Lot again in the same parsha. Think about the influence Lot had on Sodom and Gomorrah. How much influence did he have? Really, zilch. Right? How much influence did Abraham have around him? People still talk about him today as the father of our faith. We also hear that, he, the, um, that when he went to Haran, that he and Sarah took with them the souls they had made. Now, you can read it um, simply as, you know, the, maybe the slaves that were born in their house or something to that nature. But the sages tell us, which I tend to agree with, that this was the disciples that he made. Okay? We have um, Genesis 12, 1 through 5 that says this. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and to him who dishonors you. I will curse and all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord told him and Lot went with him. Abraham, or Abram rather, was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Here's the, the passage I want you to pay attention to. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered. And the people they had acquired, or the, literally says the souls they had made, not even the life, not even the, the, the humans, but the souls that they had made, it, made in Haran. And they set out to go to the land of Canaan. Later on, we read... When Abraham um, has to, well, actually, maybe before this, it was, I think, last week's Parsha, but Abraham had to um, rescue Lot. Remember that? He got in trouble, and he had to battle it out with the kings and all that kind of stuff. Abraham took with him 318 trained men of his household. What are these? This is his disciples that he had trained not only physically, spiritually, but also in combat. And there's a whole tradition, you can look this up on the internet when you get a chance, of the Abir warriors that supposedly trace their um, fighting style back to being bodyguards for Abraham. Uh, whether that's true or not, that's just something interesting that, that you may want to check out. And, um, but Abraham had an influence on the people around him. Now, one of the ways that he was able to influence them is through his kindness. And if they didn't respond to his kindness, then he got a little, let's say, creative. Okay? So an example given, which I love this example is, he would have, you know, all these people over at his home. He would, they've been wandering, you know, they've been going through the, the desert for who knows how long, and he's the first place to come to, and hey, I, I can get food and water and wine and meat and all that kind of stuff, and he has a lot of stuff, and he's just going to give it to me, you know, just because he wants to, just because he enjoys doing that, and I'm, I'm getting free food, right? And he says, hey, it's free, and uh, get through eating, and then Abraham says, hey, okay, bless my God for the food, 
that, that you have eaten and the wine that you have drink, drank. And they're like, I don't want to do that. It's like, then you need to pay me for the food. <laughs> well, how much is it? Oh, it's, you know, $100 for a slice of bread. It's, you know, $200 for a glass of wine. $300 for your meat. And it's like, what? You're crazy. It says, well, you either pay up or pray up. <laughs> and so they're like, all right, fine. I'll bless Hashem, you know. And so, um, you know, humor, humorous story, but, you know, uh, a little, little tactic here to get people to recognize the creator of the universe and bless him and thank him for what he has provided. Um, and so, you know, Abraham had a lot of influence. Abraham enjoyed bringing happiness to others, and it caused his example and his influence to be extended thousands of years later. Thousands of years later. Bringing joy to others, as I said earlier, is what brought him nachas. Now, my question to you is, what brings you nachas? Is it making the big sale at work? Is it watching your favorite team win a football game? Is it going to the latest movie, playing the latest app or video game? Now, all these things are fine. There's no, no problems with these. But they shouldn't be what we receive our satisfaction in life from. They shouldn't be what brings us true joy. Just like Abraham, our nachas, should be from helping others through acts of chesed, acts of kindness. So I want to plant this seed in you right now. I'm going to drop it in and say, what chesed can you do this week for another person and especially someone who cannot repay it. We are children of Abraham. Abraham was the master of chesed. So should we be. We are children of Abraham's. Shouldn't we also be disciples of Abraham and emulate his example? Amen? Shabbat Shalom. We hope you enjoyed the weekly teaching. We'd love to hear from you with a comment, a prayer request, or questions you might have. We believe the mission and message of Messianic Judaism is something the world needs now. If you enjoy these teachings, would you consider financially supporting the work of Nachamu Ami by visiting our website at www.makingmessianic.com and clicking the Give Online button in the upper right corner. Thank you again for listening.